Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello, you're Mark Ellen. I recognise you. Uh, you sound like David Hentworth. Yes. Unless I'm entirely true. mistaken. Yeah. So, so the Stackwaddy game. Go on. Okay. Can I go first? Go on, go first. Okay. Disco groups. Right. Think, think tight, you know, Lurex trousers and kind glitter of, balls knee glitter high. balls yeah absolutely. leather yeah absolutely um okay think of that era late 70s early 80s if you like think yep. kind of one hit wonders probably of that period but okay you know, nothing right nothing wrong with that five names follow five names okay one of them only one of them is a product of my rich imagination okay <laughs> Four out of the five are absolutely, they did exist. And here they go. You may, have you got a pen and paper? I've got a pen and paper. I'm going to write them down. Go on. Okay, here we go. Liquid gold. Yep. Instant funk. These are good. Yep. Pure energy. Is it spelled N-R-G or is it spelled uh, energy? Pure energy. Right. Crazy crazy rhythm. Yep. And risque. <laughs> okay, so there's your five. Liquid gold, instant funk, pure energy, crazy rhythm, and risque. Which one of those five is a product of mine? All right, well, okay, liquid gold, I think are real, because they just seem familiar to me. Instant isn't funk possibly real? Uh, it's plausible and it works. Pure energy, I'm I'm sure are real. Crazy rhythm is a possible fictitious one because it's so gauche and so hopeless. But but by being so gauche and hopeless, it doesn't sound like the product of your rich imagination, which I think would have come up with something more complicated and more nuanced and layered. Dave. Thus, I am going to go for partly because it sounds like 
one of the bands that Glenn Ponder would have had on the Alan Partridge <laughs> show. Do you remember he was a chalet and whatever the colour they were called, you know. Glenn he would have had Risqué, which is just brilliant. Also, because no one would have called the group Risqué because no one would have known how to, pr to, to pronounce it. You know, the, the, the record-buying public would have gone in and asked for a record by Risk or something. So I'm going for Risqué. Yeah. Well, that just shows what happens to you when you overestimate my rich imagination. Because Risqué did exist, Pure mm. Energy did exist, Instant Funk did exist, Liquid Gold of course existed, and the crap one that I made up was Crazy Rhythm. So I win. No, I thought that was simply too crap, actually. <laughs> and I don't mean that disrespectfully. That's you a, win. That's, that's a crazy that's, rhythm. I should take the brilliant. crap route in the future. Yeah, That's okay. So over, funny. To you, over to you. All right. Well, look, I'm going for grunge. Okay, I'm going for grunge. So I want grunge. you to think. I want you to think uh, possibly West Coast America in whatever it would have been around 1991. I'm a raw, primal, slightly metal with baggy shorts and goatees, nose jewellery, and you know, think of of um, bare chested bassists, right? Five well, grunge acts. Yeah, yeah. Five low bases. Low bases. Low, low slum Base bases. Bases round the knees. That's preferably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, five grunge acts. Uh, uh, four of them real. Pen, yeah. One of them fictitious and cooked okay, up I'm on gonna, me. I'm going to pen. Go on. Right. Get a, get a pen. You got a pen? Can I get a pen? Hold on. Yeah, go and get a pen. Talk among yourselves, viewers. This will be very exciting. I put an awful lot of effort into this. Um, except that I haven't. Oh, <laughs> As you shall see. You ready? Okay. The first one is... Such a professional uh, enterprise, this. Right, go on. All okay. right. The first one is The Fluids. The Fluids. Yeah, The Fluids. Okay, so grunge. <laughs> the Fluids. Okay. All right. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> the Fluids. Okay. The second one is Grung Truck. <laughs> yes, I'll read that again. Grung Truck. So it's G R U N G R U N T R U C K. Okay. 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 The third one is Blood Circus. Yeah. All right. Blood Circus. The fourth one is Seven Year Bitch. Right. And the fifth one is Stun Mallet. Okay. So we've got the fluids. We have Grunt Truck, we have Blood Circus, we have Seven Year Bitch, and we have the mighty Stun Mallet. One of those. Two more, two more from there after the news. Two, uh, yeah. One of those is not real. Which is it? Over oh, to you, sir. God almighty. I had, okay, I, I have not heard of any of these. None of them ring even the most distant bell, but that just says a lot about my familiarity with grunge. Um, I can't believe it. But we, you would have made up a, a the group. Uh, you know, so I'm going to say that they're real. The fluids are real. Um, I'm going to come back to Grunt Truck in a minute. No, I'm not. I'm going to say that they're real. Because that's too crap for you to make. Up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <coughs> I, I'm gonna plump. I'm gonna plump for the one that you made up. Is stun mallet? Oh, that's agony. Because you're right. 
Oh, that's awful. See, I was hoping that, I think that's hoping you go for seven year bitch because it's such a terrible pun. You know, it's one of those things you think, well, that's class, sounds great. Agonizing, agonizing pun would work. But it's not not grunge. Seven year bitch is not grunge. Seven year bitch bitch is new wave of British heavy metal, isn't it? It's that kind of thing. Uh, well they come up as grunge uh, if you if you were to google them and they're from in fact three of those groups are from seattle seattle was the absolute you know nerve center of grunge wasn't it so right. seven year bitch from seattle blood circus are from seattle and uh, mud honey and nirvana both supported them on their first oh. shows and grunge trucker from seattle and the fluids are from denver colorado so tragically dave you're absolutely right do you know what my, uh, I, it was a bit of a shot in the dark, but I can't help thinking that mallet is not a very uh, American word. Oh, okay. That's good. So no, that's thought, well, well deduced. It may not be. I should have been a policeman, really. Should have. <laughs> that's where I'd gone wrong in life. You know, I could have, uh, I would have made a good detective. Anyway, so. so American well, acts, I, right? American acts. Beyonce yeah, yeah. at Glastonbury. Oh, right. I don't okay. think you saw, did you? And we were talking no. about it on one of the uh, <laughs> one of the podcasts the other day with I think Lucas Hare and um, and Kerry Shale. Beyonce at Glassbury, absolutely. Um, I just want to mention. I thought it was absolutely unbelievable. It's, it's one of the greatest bits of kind of pop theatre and spectacle I have ever seen in my life. Go on, you put your hand up. Before you go any further, can I just? Uh, I didn't say it. Can I ask one for point of information? You say unbelievable. Was it live? Yeah, it was live, yeah. Completely live. Okay. And all the vocals are live, everything live. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, Prince, Little Richard, Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, all of that American R&B, uh, just all kind of synthesised this incredible show. Even the intro, where she's there, and she's, she's kind of talking about what the set's going to be, you know, builds with these kind of James Brown band accents. She's got this fantastic band, all-girl band, with a horn section and saxes and trumpets and stuff, you know. Pyrotechnics, back projections, stunning light and sound spectacle. Incredible. The most extraordinary thing was the, the dance routines. Every single number, virtually every single number, a couple of ballads, she's locked into some routine with four or five dancers on the side. Really, really complicated. And, didn't, you uh, run, didn't you run out of breath? Didn't appear to be out of breath, astonishingly. She must How be that, so fat. I know, no, still whole, singing. How singing. does that work? I know, it's absolutely incredible. She wasn't. She didn't. She, I mean, slightly, but not massively. Didn't appear to sweat at all. Not even she glowed. She glowed. Ladies glowed. She glowed. No, no, no she wouldn't glowed. Yeah, but uh, and also, as I found out after, she was two months pregnant, which is astonishing. But um, you know, as far as being as far from the the, the brand of, of Glastonbury as imaginable. That was amazing, because you normally think class, we think mud-caked bands, don't you? In the light drizzle, you know. And it struck me also how different the UK and the, and the US entertainment traditions were. We're not disposed in this country to put on shows like that. It's, uh, our sensibility feels it's a bit contrived, but we really admire it when Americans do it, you know. They've got that kind of wide-scale showbiz polish and precision, and we've got that idea of spontaneity and amateurishness, you know. And it made me think, I don't know if this is a ridiculous thought, but uh, how important a component the musical might be in US culture. You know, that they have that sense of theatre, don't they? Of oh, show. you mean the Broadway? Yeah, Broadway, Broadway musical, because that's part, a really big part of American culture, you know. You think, of, could we have produced groups like Alice Cooper? Could we have produced Marilyn Manson, Slipknot, or The Tubes, you know? Or even the Ramones, actually, who are a kind of cartoon theatre, you know? 
And That's I think a very that, good point. And if you think of if you think of groups like Pulp and Oasis, who were also on that Glastonbury special, you know, and the, their whole thing is a kind of shambling charm and the idea of kind of spontaneity, as they, and they like to look like they haven't worked at it, you know. And it struck me watching Springsteen and the Eastie Eastie band of that, and they're actually part of that American culture too. They are phenomenally rehearsed and polished and routined and thought through and arranged, but made again to look spontaneous, aren't they? Because yeah, a, a lot of that is well, theatre. That, 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 that's a key part of their theatre, is a lot of work has gone into making it look spent. Making it look completely made Making out. it look as if a lot of work has not gone into it. You know, I know. It's, kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a reverse trick, isn't it? Yeah. But we prefer uh, knockabout gangs, don't we, in this country? Like, you know, the Faces and the Stones and Oasis and stuff, you know, rather than individuals, which I think is an interesting thing. Is that, would that no, be right? I, I, yeah, I think, well, I think that's certainly right. And it's one of the, you know, I, I've written a book which is coming out in September, which is about the, uh, it's about the British invasion of the United States from sort of 1964 to 1984. And one of the key things is that Britain is largely about groups, always has been. And America is largely about individual stars, you know. And if you look at the great American names, you know, it's, it's Elvis, you know, it, 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 it's Madonna, it's Madonna Prince, and Prince, Bruce yeah, Prince, yeah, Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson. It, it's those kind of those kind of people. Where you look at the British tradition, it's the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, Oasis, you know, T Rex, all this kind of thing. It, or it's it, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, George Thorogood, and this, it's, it's that. Isn't yeah, it? it's kind of, you know, yeah, the leaders, yeah. Bruce Springsteen is obviously the leader of that group, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was the interesting, the interesting thing that I think the key thing that Bruce Springsteen did, and I think he did it in 1971 when he goes to, is it 71? Yeah, I think it is. When he goes to, he goes to see his parents out in, who have moved out to California. They've left New Jersey. They're kind of retired. They've moved out to California. And he goes out to see them. Oh, this is and, in his uh, memoir. It's fantastic. And, and be, yeah. before that is in kind of, He's in bands, you know, Earth, and I can't remember what these other groups are called. Um, but he goes out there and he hears Van Morrison and the Caledonia Cell Express are on the radio all the time. And Van Morrison, really interesting case, because Van Morrison comes from the Irish tradition, which is kind of a show band tradition. Show band, you know I mean? absolutely. A yeah, load yeah. of horns and we do all kinds of numbers and so forth. And uh, and he comes back, and pretty much from then on, it's Bruce Springsteen and the, you know what I mean? And that's, that becomes part of the, the kind of the great narrative. It's me and my mates, me and my supporting gang, you know what I mean? And that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's what his show is about. It has been about absolutely ever since, and still is to this day, you know? Yeah, you write about that. Fantastically, in one of your books, Carmel, which oh, on Common you. People, I think that's really good. And you talk about what, what, what that moment must have been like where he said, Well, we're called the E Street Band, but I've got a really good idea. We're now going to be called Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. How's that yeah, going to go yeah. down? Well, it went uh, down uh, fine, uh, evidently. Yeah, well, I still put, yeah, I still keep going back to the fact that the most amazing moment in their, in their career is where he goes off to have the picture taken for the cover of Born to Run. Yes, yes, And yes. he just takes Clarence. He doesn't yeah. take anybody else at yeah. all. That's a statement to the rest of the group. It you know, is. That this is how it's going to work, you know. And, and Americans, the late Felix Dennis, who you and I, you know, both knew, you know, quite well, in your case, quite well. Yeah. Um, I remember 
years ago, God, this is in the early, middle 80s, I'm going to visit Felix in New York at his office where he's published loads of magazines. And Felix is loud, larger than life character, you know, who kind of prided himself on saying provocative things that average English people wouldn't say at all. Uh, and uh, he, he was talking to me in his office about the difference in working culture between England and America. And he said, see those people over there? And he pointed out all his staff. He says, there isn't a single one of them that doesn't expect to get fired tomorrow morning. <laughs> and he was just he, 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 over making a point to make a point. You know, he wouldn't have dared say that in a British office at all. You know? No, no. People would have taken it as hurtful. Whereas Americans accept hierarchy in the way that the British, oddly enough, just so right. I, do you remember when uh, we both worked at VH1? VH1 used to have yeah. a base in Hawley Crescent in Camden, and they had two parking lots, uh, very sought after, obviously, in that part of London, right out in front of the building. And only two people were allowed to park their cars there. And they were the two main people who ran the, 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 the company. Yeah. And they both had the most fantastic cars. And they, that was such an American thing, that you were meant to look at those cars and think, wow, you know, I want that, one. I, I want one of those, and I I want I'm gonna have to be the boss one day in order to be able to afford it. You know, and yeah. I thought that was a very un-British way of doing things. You know, kind of just making it clear that that's the hierarchy. You know, not the Br Br British have this kind of idea that we're all a democracy. Actually, you no, know, well, we're all mates. We're all on the same level. We're all pals. Uh, we're, we're work colleagues. Yeah, that's a pretense, but it's a pretense that you know makes things work. It does it? in the way that. Susan's here, so it's very different. So, you know, American man, I always think, you know, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, and I, I, he said that it was, it was kind of joking, sort of, but he wasn't joking no, underneath no. it all because no. he was saying, when it comes to it, I'm, I'm the decider. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if you do, it's my way or the highway. You know. uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think you could do that in a British band, you know? You know, John Lennon was the leading person in the Beatles. But he wasn't allowed to say it, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? He wasn't allowed to say it. And you could argue also that he, that, that he wasn't in some ways, actually. He just was in terms of seniority, wasn't he? And in terms of the respect from the others. But he probably wasn't the guy who ran the crew. Probably no, wasn't no. the one that, that actually was the driving force that got in the studio and that made the, studio, made the records. Which yeah, was so Ringo. Yeah. I think yeah, I think it's interesting that it, it strikes me nowadays that the biggest performers in music are solos. I think if you if you look at the general trend, I think they are, you know, the big acts who who headline Glastonbury whenever it comes back, or Wembley or Madison Square Garden or whatever, tend to be individuals. Because, you know, it could be that the era of the group is gone because, you well, know, there's another, you, don't, there you don't need it to make that? music anymore, do you? Isn't there another angle on that? Is that when you're younger, you respond to the idea of groups. Groups are what sold the NME, particularly when yeah. I worked there and probably still did right through the 90s and, and, and the last 10 years. And individuals were what sold magazines like Q Magazine. Because yeah. the, and certainly, certainly Mojo, because the older you get, uh, the more you're interested in, in the songwriter, the more you're interested in the heart and soul of that group. Every group, 
appears to be, you know, there's five of them. They appeared when you were a kid just to be 20% each. But actually, as you get older, you realize that one of them, there's a Robbie Robertson somewhere, someone who writes all the songs and all the lyrics, does all the arrangements or whatever. And that becomes the interesting person with whom you relate. So I don't know. I think, I think groups are probably just something that have more appeal when you're younger. Yeah, but do you think and it's the audiences also, are getting older? If you wanted to make a kind of rock and roll noise in 1966, you had to go and find a bass player, a drummer, and another guitarist, a keyboard player, or whatever. If you want to make a noise nowadays, you don't need any of those things at all. You know, no, you don't. It, 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 I can it, remember you and I writing a piece a on... Yeah, we did a piece in Smash Hits in 1981. Uh, the headline of which was It Takes Two. It was about how if all those bands that, that, that were around in the 60s came back now, they'd be duos. They'd be just be Jagger and Richards. I don't remember that. That's a good idea. It's a I really good idea. I, can't. I think yeah, you were yeah. involved. It takes two. You know, Jethro Tull would be just, um, you know, a, a flute player and a, and, a, and a guy with a guitar. You know, it's quite <laughs> interesting, really. And the rest of it's all done on synthesizers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to show you a record in a minute. We'll be back. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Okay, we're back. As promised, there's a record. For the benefit of those poor benighted souls who are simply listening to this rather than watching it, what am I holding up, Mark? You're holding up uh, the soundtrack uh, album from the movie Performance, starring Mick Jagger and James Fox. Uh, from, I suppose, out, 19, what, 1970, was it? Yeah, 1970. Came out this week in 1970. Came out this week. I remember it's got Randy yeah. Newman music on it. It's got Ry Cooder, I think it's on it, isn't it? it it, it, well, yes, it has. Buffy Sembury. Buffy Sembury. I think so. Uh, it's got, it's got, uh, yeah, it's got a tune by The Last Poets, whose title I won't even dare say in, in this day, day and age. Uh, it's got the, the most extraordinary kind of range of people. It's got, but of course, the reason everybody bought it, people like me bought it, is it was the only, I think it was the only way you could get Memo from Turner, uh, which was Mick Jagger's kind of solo turn from this uh, film with uh, with Ry Kuda. Uh, what a fantastic sleeve that is. It, Isn't that beautiful? You see, what I, it, it is, it is, it's just the standard kind of, uh, you know, picture of Mick Jagger in that, in, in at that moment in the film performance, which I remember going to see. I remember going to see on, on a Sunday afternoon in Leicester Square. And it was a very disorienting experience seeing that and, uh, I remember feeling very queasy afterwards. Um, it's odd. Oh, I can I can vaguely remember it. A long scene with him in a bath. Isn't that the one? Was it with him and Anita Pallenberg. Uh, Anita Pallenberg. That's and right. With whom he was supposedly had a bit of a fling at the time. Yeah. 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 Fling. Fling. Inevitably. Fling. <laughs> fling was a lovely word. What a lovely. It's like so like got, got off with. with. He got <laughs> off with her. <laughs> The, the most inappropriate words for describing the Rolling Stones' love life. Having a fling. Having a fling. He was, was walking out with Anita Pallenberg at the time. Um, but I tell you what struck me as odd. And so that came, out, uh, that came out this week in 1970. Okay, there I hold that. Yep. And here in my right hand comes the Rolling Stones album that came out this week in 1980. And there it is. What am I holding up, Mark, for the benefit of those poor people? It must be Emotional Rescue. Is it Emotional Rescue? It's Emotional Rescue by the Rolling Stones. What a dog's dinner that is. (laughs) (laughs) It's awful. It's not timeless. 
even the hungriest dog would slink away from this particular <laughs> from this particular you know, um, meal served. I, I, listened, I listened to it yesterday. I mean, there's, there's strong competition for the ropey Australian Stones record, but this is up there. Um, it? It, dear, it, it, well, it, it, it's got dance. It's got a track called Dance. You think, that's not a good way to start. Second track, Summer Romance. No, don't want to look. You see, sorry, slight tangent here. I can remember, because I'm so old, I can remember reading in the New Musical Express the titles of the tracks of the next Rolling Stones album in sort of 1966 or whatever. And those were the tracks from Aftermath. And those tracks were things like Mother's Little Helper. I know, what a great song. Like Flight 505, Lady Jane, I, Out of Time. Every single one of them, you, you read the title, you thought, I want to hear that. I've I want to hear that. To hear so that. Mother's Little Helper, what is that story about? Yeah, they con contrast that with what you would have got in 1980. If I tell you the No Rolling Stones record contains dance, summer romance, send it to me, let me go, Indian girl, where the boys go, down in the hole, emotional rescue, she's so cold, and all about you. You don't want to hear any of them, do you? She's so cold. I'm, I'm dashing to the turntable now. <laughs> That's just phenomenally unappetizing. But the, the, there is one good track, which is, the, uh, which is Emotional Rescue, I, which I think is really good. Um, but, but what I was interested in... Last uh, Great is... Stones album was 1976, Dave. Surely Black and Blue. Last great record. Sorry, uh... I think it was. Well, some girls, you see, this came the out greeter. of some girls. Yeah. Some girls, some girls have been a big hit. And, uh, and so there were high hopes for emotional rescue. I mean, this record went to number one in the States. You know, it can't be anybody who play, played it a month later. You know, surely not. But here's my point, Mark. What I, what I want to ask you about this. In my left hand, Mick Jagger, solo album, album soundtrack, 1970. In my right, Rolling Stones. Uh, emotional Rescue, 1980, but 10 years later. It's not, not long at all. Why is it that the one in my left hand feels alluringly vintage and the one in my right hand just looks like it's just bland nothing? Well, I don't know. Does a, pa does a, does a passage of time have to elapse? Oh dear, I've knocked a load of books over. Does a passage right. of time have to elapse before a picture looks... I can't because you mentioned this to me yesterday. And I dug around the attic and I found a few 1980s, also 1980s records. I mean, these are just terrible. I mean, that's a terrible sleep. This is the Pretenders album. The Pretenders, the first Pretenders. Really, the first. Yeah, you're it's, it's just not that a very, terrible. Well, it's very it's cheap. Terrible. It's a cheap old cutout. Well, that genuinely is terrible. Oh that's, God, the police. The police is Zenyatta Mondata. I mean, that's a what a terrible title. Too. What a terrible picture. I mean, and I've made me think that there might be something in the fact that if you have a band picture on the cover of a, of a, of a sleeve, it takes a while for that to become classic. But if you have timeless pictures, you know, like those great Smiths covers, you know. Okay, um, so I'm going to show you. Go I'm on. going to come back with these are also records that came out in July in 1980. So 40, count them, 40 big top 20 years okay, go ago. On. Okay, this came out. What am I holding up, Mark? Oh, that's fantastic. Well, that's where uh, so uh, wait for the, the, the Young Soul Rebels by uh, by Jetsy's Midnight Runners, isn't it? Which, we've talked, which we talked about before, which is that amazing picture of um, of Anthony O'Shaughnessy being uh, being expelled from 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 um, 
his home in Belfast in 1971. That's, a, that's fantastic. But Dave, that's surely because that's not a band picture. That's a timeless photograph. Okay. Picture okay. from that era okay. anyway. Good Go on. one. Go, Go, okay. Also released the same week. In 1980, it's called Gamers, isn't it? Yeah, go on, go on. Here we go. What am I holding up? Oh, Crocodiles. Yeah, Crocodiles by, by, e by Echo and the, and the Bunny That's Man. a nice cover. No, it's, I, I don't know if it's classic, but it's a fantastic picture. It's God, you ought to dig up if you're thinking. It's still not, no, not quite classic. I don't know why not. Maybe it's because it's colour or I don't know what it is. But if, in that vein, there's a great, um, did you look at Black Sea by XTC? That's amazing. Black Sea, oh, yeah. all dressed up. Have you got oh, that, that, that yeah. is a good cut. Yeah, well, they're dressed up in, um, I haven't got it with me now, actually, but they're dressed up in, in Deep Sea Divers uh, yeah, outfits. Cover. Terrific cover. cover. Keep talking. I might be able to, I might be able to produce it. But I think a lot of it's to do with, with, the, with the times. If you look at those Smiths records, I'm they came out a bit later. But I mean, records like that are absolutely built to last forever. There it is. Oh, yeah, that's great. Very good. Now that is a good cover. It's a great cover. It's also a good record. It's a really good it's a record. Terrific record. And it's the perfect cover for that record. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, it just it is absolutely perfect. So yeah, have you that got Heart that, Attack and Vine. That's a good right. One. Well, hold on a second. I've not only ever got Heart Attack and Vine. You asked about this. So there's Tom Waits, Heart Attack and Vine. So that came out in 1980, did it? Yeah. Did it? Yeah, it did. Okay. It's also, if you look up here, can you see? I don't know if you okay. can see. Okay. Yeah. I, I got it signed by to him. To my, to my... That's wonderful. <laughs> Is that... what, what were the circs of that? Where, where, uh, I interviewed him at the BBC, I think, at the time, and I just took this along, and this must have been his most recent record. And, uh, and I said, would you sign this? And I only ever get things signed for other people. I said, would you sign this for my wife? And he signed it to Alison. Sincerely, <laughs> which That's is great. Sincerely, Tom Waits. She's got a really odd thing to write sincerely. on an autograph. Sincerely, on on somebody you've never met, you know. Uh, at all. I got Leonard Cohen to sign something for my wife, and he signed it. Warm regards, which is uh, well, it, <laughs> warm well, it, regards. Yeah, yeah, that's a very that warm regards. That's excellent. That's a, yeah, that's, a gen, that's a gentleman. Why don't uh, you also, get, Why don't you ever get signatures for yourself, autographs for yourself? I was too embarrassed. It almost seems a bit crap to me. It almost seems it felt a bit unprofessional to me. It is unprofessional. If you, if you did it for somebody else, that's different. Uh, so also released kind of the, round about this time in 1980. So also 40 big top 20 years ago. There you go. Oh, close that, by by Joe that, that does look fabulous, doesn't it? It does. It does look fabulous. But somehow uh, what I'm trying to get at is, is, yeah, some covers look good and some don't, and some hold up and some. But a lot don't. of that's to do with but graphic some design. Just, they sort of don't look old in the same way. You know what I mean? There's kind of, you know, if you go back to Stone's Emotional Rescue, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't look as if it belongs to any particular time. Uh, and I suppose. No, that's true. You know, I've, whereas if you if you look at Rolling Stones album, and you know, because my theory about Rolling Stones albums has always been by their covers, may you judge them. If they've yeah. got good covers, they're good records. Yeah. If they've got crap covers, they're probably not. Okay, go on, what's that? What's no, that? I was going to say, I think this is quite good. This is Wild Planet by uh, B-52s. I thought that was pretty good. Came out in 1980. Now, admittedly, that's a band picture, 
but it's it's mostly about graphic design and graphic design also is something that immediately becomes a bit a bit timeless you know the sex pistols album um the joy division you know uh the clash is london calling a lot of that's about the graphic design i think this is beautiful picture here they are the, the, the b52s again it's a throwback anyway it's nostalgia it's trying to remember the 1950s and 1960s all their clothes and the beehives and the funny old metal chairs they're sitting on and the primary colors but i thought that was good and i thought that for some reason that that seemed to seemed to freeze a moment in time for me in 1980. Do, you see, I, don't look at, I don't look at it and think 1980. Whereas if I looked at, I don't know, think of an example off the top of my head. You know, uh, if you look at, you know, well, the Rolling Stones aftermath. I think yeah. the mid, I think the mid sixties, straight yeah. up, it completely takes me back to the mid sixties. But that may be just my age, and you know, maybe may just well, talking my of age. How old is Kate Pearson now? Kate Pearson, the B fifty two, seventy two. Good for her. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, She's seventy two. Nothing that's wonderful. Look, Debbie Harry was 75 the other day. Oh, that's Debbie Harry, 75. I know, you forget that she was kind of comparatively old at the time, wasn't she? You didn't realise it. You didn't even think about it, but she was. She'd been I'll tell you who's... Those, all those psychedelic groups she was in, Wind in the Willows and yeah. stuff. You know. When she actually started, she was, I don't know, 30-something, wasn't she? I'll Which tell was... you whose birthday I was struck by this week um, was... Olivia de Havilland, you know, the great Hollywood star of Hitchcock films and, you know, back in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. And I think also, there wasn't Olivia de Havilland the sister of another equally famous and beautiful actress, I can't remember, who wasn't in the same name, obviously. Olivia de Havilland was 104 yesterday. You're and, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, some of these people... She's well, outranked Vera Lynn. Did you notice that... Well, quite, yeah. Did you notice that, and this must be about two years ago now, Mary Wilson died, Harold Wilson's wife? But you my know, Lord, how old was she? Mary Wilson. Well, she was a hundred and some um, when she died. You know, and Mary Wilson, when Harold Wilson was prime minister, Mary Wilson was kind of more famous than he was, wasn't she? You know, it was kind of, she wrote poetry and it was she Mrs. Was. Wilson's diary. And, oh, Mrs. Wilson's diary. She's a in, huge in star. private life. Absolutely. And then I'd, I'd never heard of anything of her for And she years, came to the fore there was the, the allegations about a possible uh, romance with him, wasn't there? Do you remember? With, uh, Wilson and the... Oh, uh, yeah, we, we talking about Marcy Williams. Marcy, a fork bender. Yeah, that's right. As, as brother, I used to call her, she's safely dead as well. Okay, yes, we can is. talk about this. But that's God, how, 104, what's the secret? They're gonna, if you interview them, they say, well, I have broccoli three times a day. Yes. And I, I drink a, so, a quart of, uh, of uh, pure Italian olive oil at, uh, at 11 o'clock. You know. So who's going to be the rock star? Who's going to, who's going to in future, there will be loads of 100-year-old rock stars, won't there? Sting, Sting will be. Look at Sting, for Christ's sake. Sting looks like he gets up in the morning and uh, cycles up a 3,000-foot peak and then uh, goes for a two-mile swim. Doesn't he, or not? No, and then he, sort of eats a load right. of vegan food, and he just looks like he'll be here forever. You see, do you know what my prediction is? I think it's going to be Keith Richards. I've often, I've thought this for years. I think well, if he survived this long, they will absolutely, the if he was going to go, he'd have gone back. <laughs> we thought he was going to, I know, I know. And maybe Dylan too. I used to, when, I, when, I, when, I, when we used to go and see Dylan, which I haven't done for a while now, because he hasn't played for a bit, but Claire and I, my, my wife and I, we used to, we used to, we used to on, our, on our tiptoes as he went off stage, have a long last look at him. 
thinking we'll never see him again. Because every no, time he went bad. off stage, you think he's because he's going to peg it tomorrow. He must do. He's Dylan. What a life. But how wrong we've been. No, they, they, all come, they all come back. Well, oh, Frank no. Sinatra. Frank Sinatra retired in 1971 because he thought that whatever age he was in 1971, which was not particularly advanced, it might have been early 60s or something, he thought it was indecently old to be a singer. And then after a couple of years, he thought, oh, hang on, sod this. I'm going back. I'm coming back. Everyone else is still going. Absolutely. How old was he when he retired? How old? Well, I don't know. It was in 1971. You'd have to work it out from, uh, you know, uh, what he... he, Probably what, early 40s? It's the kind of thing. He's probably around the same same age as a member of Boyzone nowadays, you know. (laughs) uh, But it it somehow seemed (laughs) indecently elderly at the time. So this, going back to the Rolling Stones' emotional rescue, was the Rolling Stones the, the album that they thought they would never come out because Keith had just had his period in Toronto and all that, you know what I mean? When he, you know, he got into his... And his Collarfeld. And his Collarfeld. Yeah. And he couldn't leave Toronto. Just so before he played thought, the bottom line with Nick Lowe. Yes, everybody thought, oh, that's the end of the Rolling Stones. We shall not see their like again. Oh, yes, we would. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's another 40 years and they're still here. Still you know, at it's, it. It's absolutely extraordinary. Well, best of luck to them. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. Yeah, further to what we were talking about last week, I think, about Katie Tunstall talking about uh, streaming uh, and how little she made from it and how that was her main revenue now she couldn't, couldn't tour. Um, it's just interesting. We got sending me that, that, uh, that, a bit of information about how much certain people make from streaming. And Ed uh, Sheeran, from just Shape of You, just that one track from Spotify, has earned uh, £7 million. And that's just one streaming outlet. There are several others. That's, and that's just one track. Admittedly, five people uh, are credited as writing that track. But that's a lot of money, isn't it? And you think also that Ed Sheeran's last tour, the Divide tour, 260 shows, uh, earned, or, or grossed anyway, £620 million. Pounds. And he must have been there. I know, Ed Sheeran, I, that's, that's not a lot of people on stage. There's not a lot of equipment, you know. You think there are some extraordinary amounts of money available, don't you think? Well, it certainly seems to be the case with, uh, with streaming uh, that, and it's always been the case that the, 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 very, the people at the very top make far more money than absolutely everybody else. But it's more the case in the world of streaming than it was before, you know, because I, I think it's very difficult to be a middling success now. You're either absolutely, absolutely huge, huge or exactly. just invisible. Or you're just kind of working, exactly. And, I mean, uh, so it, it, it's wrong to think that, because you naturally assume that the 90s was the peak somehow, because the 90s was the absolute peak of it was a peak record, for the record sales. And it, it was, was also the, the point when the markets, the, the, the record market and the touring markets, world markets, were still expanding. So you'd imagine that's the time when people would have made the most amount of money. But the point is that now, clearly, people can make more money can't they? But there just aren't perhaps quite so many of them. Well, there's a tiny, minor, tiny minority of the kind of Drakes and Ed Sheerans and Beyonce's and so forth. Tiny minority can make far more money than anybody in any previous era of popular music would have made, uh, particularly if they tour as well as stream and, you know, sell their music in whatever ways they can. But it's just very difficult 
for absolutely everybody else. You know, it's very difficult to be a middling, a middling act because you can't go along and get another advance from a record company. You know, which was traditionally how middling acts kind of got by. Um, you can't do that anymore. Anyway, yeah, if sign it wasn't of the time out with one, you would go and lurch off to another one, and they can well, have a huge, that's a huge advance. Exactly. Well, maybe not a huge, but you got an advance. Yeah. But anyway, sign of the times. I don't know if you noticed it this week that Kanye West uh, felt moved on uh, on to to congratulate his wife Kim Kardashian on uh, on Twitter on having reached that important life stage you know not on being 40 or having a child or whatever he was congratulating her on becoming a billionaire <laughs> which i thought i thought that's a bit rum to go out join the club yes you, you turn on your face your phone first thing in the morning you have a look at twitter what's happening oh yes yeah, kim kardashian's become a billionaire that you know. actually that the very worst aspects of twitter isn't it <laughs> How is anybody going to go off with a spring in their step? Nobody. <laughs> not one person. Apart from you're possibly not, her. You're not really. Oh, and also, dreadful. And also, if you congratulate somebody on being a billionaire, becoming a billionaire, what are you also saying about yourself? You're saying, you are already a billionaire. Therefore, you're kind of in a position to, to welcome them to the club. You know? Absolutely. You may be a little bit tardy in reaching billionaire status, but she got there eventually. Game gal and all that, you know. So uh, yeah, I thought that was I thought That's that was classic. very rum. That's very That's rum. Classic. Talking of, talking of rum, we both last night watched or uh, attempted to watch the uh, the Will Ferrell film uh, about the Eurovision Song Contest, which is uh, which is on Netflix, was launched <laughs> in the last few days, and. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very puzzling thing to me. Is I didn't know that Euro, the Eurovision figured sufficiently highly in the American consciousness for for, for them to make a big American film about it. I you was astonished I mean? too. I know. I absolutely uh, astonished because I, I wasn't sure if America fully understood what it was. I mean, you I'm, know, I'm not sure I understand what it. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand what it is anymore. You know, because I. It, I mean, it's kind of, it's it's sort of all right. It's Will Ferrell, you know. Um, and but I, I can't help thinking that with with Eurovision, you, you're very much in the, at the mercy of what your particular history with it is, you know. And I can't remember it in the, God, I remember it probably the very early ones, Pearl Carr and Teddy Johnston, whatever. And, and I remember the '60s and Cliff Richard and Stan, Sandy Shaw and all that. And then I remember the 70s and, and early 80s, I suppose, Buck Spears and Abba and so forth. And the 70s being the classic time, it was all those kind of racial stereotypes, wasn't it? It was always people in lederhosen. It was always kind I of, uh, it was called, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, milk-fed Brunhildes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but then I kind, of, I, I kind of lost touch with it, really, now. Yeah. And because nowadays it's just bigger than ever, isn't it? It's... Uh, you know, because it's no longer just about the songs and the performers. It's about these massive presentations of songs and performers, isn't it? It's um, huge. I mean, I actually, I felt, I sort of felt a tiny bit of affection to it. I've always been quite fond of it, actually. And the interesting thing about the film is that I, it must be, I'm judging by the fact that the, the film is actually called Eurovision Song Contest, isn't it? The story of Fire Saga, which is the group that Will Ferrell said. 
it, it, I got the impression that the Eurovision Song Contest might, song contest might have a stake in it. Did you feel that, that they were involved oh, I, in some way? Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. So, I mean, in order to have used so much of their, I don't know, iconography, and uh, I, I don't know, just didn't look like they had some involvement. And therefore, having decided that, you can't take the piss out of the Eurovision Song Contest, which it doesn't do. Which is fair enough. I mean, I, I'm, as I say, I'm quite fond of it. But the other problem was that you couldn't take the piss out of Will Ferrell and his co-star because they're meant to be sympathetic, relatable characters. You know, it's not like Anchorman, where he plays, who is it, Ron Burgundy, which is an absolutely fantastic film. You know, Ron, Ron Burgundy is essentially an arse, isn't he? He's a kind of self-interested <laughs> villain. Absolutely Constantly arse. littering and treating women very badly <laughs> and just being utterly self-interested and ghastly, you know, in a kind of amusing way. But, you know, you, all you're invited to do is just laugh at how absurd he is and wait for him to get his, his comeuppance, you know. But this film is like that. There are all sections of it where there's a sort of romantic subplot. Were you meant well, to be really the, sorry the, for the, Will Ferrell? You know, absolutely, because Will Ferrell is edged out by, and I wanted to mention this, there, there's a, a, a former reader of Word who's very prominent in this film. Go on. Well, Dan Stevens, who plays... The, the kind of the Russian. Is he supposed to be Russian, Russian. Oh yeah, yeah, he's the kind of love interest, isn't he? That's right. Good-looking, yeah. kind of mustache-twirling, bad, bad boy who wants to take away Rachel McAdams, is it from? Uh, yeah, it is. From, yeah. from Will Ferrell is Dan. Dan, who used to, you know, in the early days of Word, he used to correspond with us, uh, and he, I think, I think I'm right in saying he said, "I've, I've just, you know, I've, um, I used to, I used to text him." And he used to say, yeah, I've just signed up to do this this thing. I think it might be quite big. It's called Downton Abbey. <laughs> that was where he yeah. came to prominence, wasn't he? He was the handsome young heir in, he in Downton Abbey. He's actually really good in this, too. Oh, he's Pierce terribly Brosnan. good. He's Pierce really hilarious. Good. Yeah, he's really, he's really, really good. Really, yeah. he's very, Pierce Brosnan, very... who plays Will Ferrell's dad. Well, interesting pop fact, Will Ferrell, I think, is 53 or whatever. And Pierce Brosnan is either th only 13 or 14 years older than him. Pierce Brosnan's really good, too, actually. Yeah, but it looks. Oh, I, it struck me it must have been such fun to make that film. The idea that you're you're going to kind of write a load of Eurovision pastiche um, yeah. songs is interesting. It must have been fun, the spectacle, the big. But I'd say what it reminded me of, and I don't know if you've seen it. Have you watched Space Force? No, I haven't. Okay, Space Force is also on Netflix, I think. Uh, and Space Force was the big comedy launched like three weeks before um, yeah. Eurovision. Starring the great Steve Carell, who's the star of the American Office. So I love Steve Carell. Love Anchorman and too. It, and yeah. it was the idea of uh, yeah, he's in Anchorman too as yeah, well. He is, yeah. um, and uh, it's about it's about space force. It kind of it it gets there before Donald Trump's actual space force has had an opportunity to do, to do anything. And uh, and you watch it, and it's kind of lavish, and it's very well written, and it's got terrific actors in it, and so forth. And you just realise after you've watched the first one, you haven't laughed at all. You haven't actually laughed. And, you know, and I find there's lots of really well done comedy nowadays that doesn't actually make me laugh. It's a kind of funny premise. It's a really funny idea. And it's a bit the same with the Eurovision Song Contest. The bits that make me laugh were Dan Stevens. And it's the kind of idea of Dan Stevens playing that kind of part. I find yeah. funny. The rest of it is it just kind of lies there for me. It, no, it does. And you're, in, I mean, you're invited to laugh at Will Ferrell early on because there he is, Will Ferrell, as I say, 53 or whatever. And, 
you know, with his ridiculous long, <laughs> long hair and his ghastly kind of silver gilets and his, his about knee high snow boots. Time to talk about ridiculous long hair. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're all like that. There we are. <laughs> no, yeah, actually, the funny, funny, funny bit is when he puts the kind of it puts something down his trousers prior to the TV performance because he says, "I thought I might like make my penis look bigger." He's very kind of just very direct. This is it's true. You think there's going to be an analogy there, or you know, <laughs> I, I, I want Edinburgh to realise that I'm pleased to see them, or something like that. You know? <laughs> no, just, just very direct. And actually, there's so, many, there's so many gags that were nicknamed. The plot itself is slightly based on the producers, isn't it? You know, the idea that something that's yeah. on paper is going to be utterly catastrophic, catastrophic proves to be quite acceptable and, and entertaining. But there's a classic version of the Bob Monkhouse gag right at the beginning where he says, Stop laughing, he's a little boy, isn't he? Stop laughing at me. One day I'll be on the Eurovision Song Contest and you won't be laughing at me then, <laughs> which is really the old Bob Monkhouse guy want to be a comedian gag, isn't it? Just dressed yeah, up. They're not laughing now. They're not laughing now. All right. Well, join us next week for more informative film reviews. The Word Podcast. Clearly, there is no plan. I must just mention a letter we got from Mark Bennett. It's so funny. I don't know if he's listening, but it's fantastic. It's about uh, in 1976 when he was 13. He won a competition with his brother and sister uh, from the evening news to be part of a recording session. And what turned out, he realised later on, was Abbey Road. And it was a band called Apple Pie and Custard. <laughs> Herbie Flowers. This is great. Herbie Flowers, post-T-Rex, pre-Sky, I suppose. Uh, Joe Brown on, on the, uh, you know, the, 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 the later uh, famous ukulele player and uh, produced by B.A. Robertson. And... Uh, yeah, just really fantastic story all about them recording this song called Primrose Stone. It turned out to be a harmonious tribute to a corner shop. We sang on the chorus, which went, small shop gone, but not forgotten. Long live Pr- Primrose Stores. Sorry, that's Primrose Stores. Dave, we're going to record that again. I that yeah, because you, I think you said the late Joe Brown. He's not late. He's not late, is he? Then we'll do it really, I'll just do it really quickly. Sorry. Okay, Imagine right. he's still rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just quickly mention a letter we got from Mark Bennett? It's really, really funny about him winning a... <coughs> thanks for sending it, if you're listening. Uh, from 1976, when he was a 13-year-old ABBA fan, he wins a competition with his brother and sister to go to... Well, he re- realises later on his Abbey Road studios and be part of a, a, a singing on a single produced by, uh, by a, 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 a band called Apple Pie and Custard, who were, in fact, Herbie Flowers and Joe Brown. <laughs> oh, the great Joe Brown. Great Joe Brown. I know, I know. Sandy Shaw turned up at one point. And B.A. Robertson was the producer. It's just, well, I had to Google this, this band to see if they actually existed, which they did. Apple Pie and Custard. Really good story. But anyway, thanks also to our new patrons. Dave, we have new patrons. Oh, yeah. Massive We're applause, please. For David Walker. Oh, good old David. And yep. Robert Bates. I've no less Robert. <laughs> And Paul Brotherton. Oh, I knew he'd be along. And I'm closely followed, of course, by Stuart Knight. Closely followed. Yes. <laughs> it's the intro and outro. We did it again. It Alan is, Williams, yeah. uh, Chris Alan Williams. Barrett, uh, Pete Welcome. Allen, Tim Stone, John Bruin, Nick Wiseman. Spend on oh, oh, right. my old pal. Oh, lovely. And Dave uh-huh. Wheeler. Fantastic. Thanks so much for getting involved. Your old pal getting in touch. That's great. It's it's very nice to hear from all of them. Much Uh, appreciated. Thank you you for being on board. And uh, we hope we can justify your faith. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. (laughs) 